Welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank, and let's get cracking with some of the things that have been going on recently. Uh, it's just myself solo again today, so um, I'll be back actually next week's episode. Um, at the time of recording this, the plan is uh, to record an episode with Chris Sharp from Liberation Times, uh, making another return appearance for I think which must be about the tenth time now. Uh, happy to say Chris has been quite a regular on the pod over the last couple of years. And also uh, Dave as well. So that should be a good episode. Looking forward to doing that. And that should be out next week. But as I say, today is another solo episode. So there's been a few things going on that I wanted to provide some updates on. Um, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of the Arrow office, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution office. Um, We have have long discussed on this podcast, uh, obviously myself and Dave, regular listeners will know, we started off a little bit dubious about Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick and and his role, and despite some quite glowing reports from from some people, uh, we we sort of had our our doubts and misgivings about Kirkpatrick, and it was a case of, let's give him a fair crack of the whip, as we say, let's give him a chance to to prove himself and, and let's see how this all, whole thing plays out. And uh, as we now know, it has played out and certainly hasn't been a favourable uh, reception that Kirkpatrick has been getting recently within the UFO community, understandably, in my opinion. Um, so there's an article in the Daily Mail published on the 3rd of November, which is a few days ago now at the time of recording, um, which claims that a, a candidate shortlist to replace Dr. Kirkpatrick at the Aldermain Anomaly Resolution Office um, has actually been interviewed. This list of people have all been interviewed, according to an ex-official speaking to the Daily Mail. So apparently there's various reasons for this, as I say, which kind of goes into the reason that various folks within the UFO community have been unhappy with Kirkpatrick's performance, and that is that these whistleblowers that have been coming forward to our role, um, first of all, a lot of them don't even want to go to, to Dr. Kirkpatrick's uh, arrow uh, due to basically, you know, doubts about his leadership and his approach and a concern about not really being taken seriously, especially after some of the, the whistleblowers who have gone to arrow and uh, giving less than favourable reports about their treatment during the process. Um, apparently, quote, really knowledgeable UFO whistleblowers, people who've had their hands on the equipment, um, as an attorney has told the Daily Mail as part of this article, never did trust Sean, unquote. So and they're also saying the, the Pentagon's UFO chief, Kirkpatrick, of course, um, will resign by the end of the year uh, amid this kind of wave of complaints accusing him of making false statements about whistleblowers and fostering an atmosphere of disinterest and all of that you know that we've heard about from behind the scenes i'm afraid does tally with what we're actually seeing in the official statements from kirkpatrick and as i say i mean the most baffling one of all was when david grush came out uh, who i'm sure everybody will be familiar with now but david grush um you know a, a long-standing uh, intelligence official like a 14 year career who's part of his job in in the later years uh of his of his career and um, were to actually investigate this issue 
and uh, and that was his official job title and he has come out as a whistleblower essentially making claims um of having interviewed like, 40 witnesses who all claim to have direct knowledge of of this program and so on and and dr kirkpatrick's response to that was to publish an open letter essentially criticizing grush and his approach which really doesn't seem to be somebody who is trying to foster a, a favorable atmosphere for whistleblowers and, and uh, an office that is running with the open arms in terms of if you've got information and you're f- from a credible source you know bring it on it's uh pretty concerning to hear uh, to see that letter and at the time that it came out i think i actually read it out on the podcast and very very concerning really that someone in patrick's position would feel that that was an appropriate thing to do so apparently there were four major candidates that have been interviewed to replace uh, Kirkpatrick following months of heated uh, debate uh, between the former CIA physicist himself, Dr. Kirkpatrick, and uh, UFO whistleblowers and activists and whatnot. And supposedly the Pentagon have already made the decision on Kirkpatrick's uh, successor, but this individual has not been named yet. And again, this is all uh, according to a former Pentagon official with past involvement in related UFO investigation programs who spoke with the Daily Mail. So interesting to think about who that may be. Um, Obviously, there are a few names that people will be considering. Um, I don't know, just to throw it out there, uh, exactly who that was, but it it could well be one of the, the folks who we're familiar with in the ufo conversation perhaps but it's worth bearing in mind that this is just an article and it is it is based on an, an unnamed source although i think there are a lot of signs pointing to this and it does sort of stand to reason that this would be a development that we would expect anyway so it's very interesting hearing that that you know there are these officials who've been uh, you know involved in this in an official capacity in the past supposedly go into the daily mail to report this as being the case and i'll just say that things i've heard on the grapevine for a little while now have, have been pointing towards this and um i've reached out to a few people to try and see whether or not this article is accurate and i'm being told uh, you know very much so that it is the case so there's also the article talks about a uh, petition actually calling for Kirkpatrick's immediate removal on change.org and there are a few thousand uh, signatures on there and um it will be it'll be pretty fascinating to see how this all all plays out and another point really worth mentioning that the article goes into uh, but just worth mentioning mentioning in general was that um, uh, around the Halloween time, uh, Arrow actually hosted a conference call Q&A session between reporters and Dr. Kirkpatrick, um, which, if I'm honest with you, there's some questions around who got invited to this particular Q&A session. Um, even, even that sort of suggests that there may have been some favourable selection in terms of the people that were invited uh, to that i know for example chris sharp had posted that he's not being invited to this despite usually being invited to that kind of thing so is is there even a, a potential argument there that the the careful selection of reporters to invite to events uh, based on who's going to report favorably on what's being discussed and that is a very very worrying thing if that is the case but that is just speculative but just throwing that out there so during this particular uh, conference call there were multiple questions about David Grush and his allegations of this uh, covert UFO crash retrieval and reverse engineering program and whatnot. And 
Uh, Kirkpatrick actually told the folks at this call that he'd interviewed a whole range of people, over 30 people now, in relation to the allegedly secret and illegal uh, program operating. And uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick said, quote, I think we've interviewed most of the people that Grush may have talked to, and goes on to say, um, we have extended an invitation at least four or five times now for Grush to come in over the last eight months or so, and have been declined. Unquote. Of course, David Grush responded to this and basically accused Kirkpatrick of having just made it up, <laughs> quite literally. I mean, the response was, quote, I have zero emails or calls from them. That is a lie, unquote, which is what David Grush had told to the reporters for News Nation uh, the day after. So a clear, a clear, strong rebuttal from Grush there, and all is not well in the world of Arrow. Um, you know, it's uh, it's some very concerning developments recently, and uh, as much as I uh, am an admirer of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's um, Al Capone 1930s-esque styling with his sharp suits and whatnot, um, I'm definitely not a fan of his conduct recently, and um, there's some very worrying signs there and uh, certainly not something to be too optimistic about i think uh, i think most people would agree with that uh, however what's going to happen once dr Kirkpatrick, if he indeed does leave before the end of the year which may not happen bear in mind you know this is this is not absolutely concrete information at this stage maybe that won't be the case um but if it is the case which i think there's fair to say that there's a lot of things pointing towards that happening um what's going to happen next are we are we going to have a complete revitalization of this office or are we going to see major steps being taken to restore faith from the interested parties within the public and, and also uh, in, internally as well um i would hope so although you know when something changes there's no guarantee that it's going to be a positive change until you see everything play out Indeed, that was the case when Arrow uh, was first announced as being the successor to the various previous iterations um, of, of the, the Pentagon UFO office. There was a lot of positivity around that, and look how that played out. So we don't know, you know, don't count your chickens until they hatch, as they say. But we shall see. Now, this is another point moving on. And I'm not going to say that this is an individual who is going to take over from Kirkpatrick. But it certainly would be very interesting to consider what would happen if this individual did uh, take over from Kirkpatrick. I mean, I don't think there are really any public names yet in terms of um, specific people who may be the, the potential successors, and certainly not that I've heard. And even asking around on the grapevine, there are no clear indications. But this particular individual, uh, I've seen the name cropping up now and again. And I first saw, I think it was James Iandoli's Engaging the Phenomenon, had posted a clip from uh, a debrief article all the way back in June. And then I also saw another uh, post crop up a couple of days later um, with... Uh, some some interesting background into this individual, um, giving even more context to the particular comments that had been made. Now, this individual, I'm sure you, you're wondering who he is. <laughs> so let's get stuck into who it is. So, Carl Nell. Now, who is this individual? 
And before I actually get stuck in as well, just in case I forget to mention, I'm going to put the link to the video that I saw in the description of the podcast. It's a YouTube link, and I'm going to talk about a little bit of his background. But this video, I've never actually heard of this channel before. I don't know where it's popped up from. I just saw it on my timeline on Twitter, X, whatever you call it these days. And I thought it was an absolutely fantastic video. Very, very good. It's only short. It's about 10 minutes. And it basically goes into a lot of what I'm about to talk about now, but perhaps in a little bit more detail about this specific point. So I really would, if you find this interesting, what I'm about to say, click on the link in the, in the description and check out the video as well, because it's a, it's an even more thorough kind of examination of the comments and the background to the comments. Now, who is Carl Nell? You might be wondering. So this is somebody who was the commander and operations officer for the U.S. Space Command between 1990 and 1994. And during that role, he reported directly to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Moved on to 1996, was a senior systems engineer for Lockheed Martin and missiles and space uh, in particular. And then... From 1998 to 2011 was the deputy CTO Northrop Grumman, another defence contractor. And then from 2001 also to 2003 um, was also the Foreign Material Programme Command Representative for the Defence Intelligence Agency, DIA. And I'm not going to read through his entire CV at this stage in time, obviously, because I will be here for a while. I'm sure you, you get in the picture by this point that this is somebody who's got some very interesting experience um, and in, in areas that directly tie in to what we're talking about with UFOs and, and the potential for being aware of what's really going on uh, on the inside uh, relating to this this topic. Uh, but just a couple of other quick interesting points. Um, he was the, between 2015 to 16, he was the Vice President and General Manager of ENSCO, which is described on the ENSCO website as uh, basically they're a defense and space manufacturing company. And um, as they put it, uh, for more than 50 years, ENSCO has been providing leading edge engineering, science and advanced technology solutions to governments and private industries worldwide. ENSCO operates in the aerospace, national security and surface transportation sectors. Quite interesting. And uh, also, he was the Chief Strategy Officer for the US Army Reserves between 2013 and, and 15, and spearheaded the largest restructuring of the Army Reserve since 9-11 and inauguration of the gold standard for multi-echelon, multifunctional combat support training within the US Army. Led a force modernization task force reorganizing and restationing dozens of units and thousands of personnel to build a two-star 5,000 soldier command across 23 states with an annual budget of 32 million. So in other words, this is somebody who's got some extensive experience in a lot of the areas that directly tie into the topic that we're discussing uh, when it comes to UFOs, UAP, how that links to national security, the sensor systems and all that kind of thing. And going back to the specific quote from the debrief, now, this article came out around the time of Dave Grush uh, initially coming to uh, the public's attention with the allegations that Dave Grush obviously brought to the table. And the quote is from Carnell at that time was, quote, His assertion concerning the evidence of a terrestrial arms race occurring sub rosa over the past 80 years focused on reverse engineering technologies of unknown origin is fundamentally correct, as is the indisputable realisation that at least some of these technologies of unknown origin derive 
from non-human intelligence. I mean, that that is as clear-cut as you can get from somebody in a, an extremely prominent position within all of the various posts that I mentioned earlier on, who's basically been in, in, involved at top levels of, you know, not only the US, the US military itself, but also private industry as well, and how those things intersect. The, the way that the guy puts it in the video that I've, that I've talked about that I would drop the link in, is that if anybody would be expected to know about what's going on with this stuff, this is a pretty good person to, to ask the question to. And, I mean, that that is so important of a message that there is an arms race going on behind the surface of reverse-engineered technologies of unknown origin. That is correct, as is the indisputable realisation that at least some of these technologies of unknown origin derive from non-human intelligence. I mean, when you add up that to the kind of comments that Lukatsky was making, which I discussed on the podcast, you know, somebody who essentially was in a similar position to Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick 15 years ago, and, you know, without any kind of ambiguity whatsoever, Dr. Lukatsky claims that there is not only a, a, a craft of non-human origin that has been held and studied by the US government, but they managed to gain access to the interior of it and that it is pretty clearly non-human intelligence rather than being some kind of, you know, a meteor or a natural occurrence. It's pretty clearly from non-human intelligence. And Carl Nell here, referring to it as an indisputable realisation that at least some of these technologies of unknown origin derived from non-human intelligence. It's really a fascinating picture that starts to come together. I would love if I had the time to actually go through and and create a, um, a you know a list, a compilation of all of the high level government officials who've been in these kind of unbelievable positions, um, you know, incredible resumes. And that have made these kind of absolutely unambiguously clear statements. You know, it's um, it would be fascinating to have them all listed. I mean, perhaps somebody's done that, and I don't know if there's anybody listening that's aware of that. I'd love to have that kind of list, and perhaps I can go through them on the podcast at some stage. Obviously, it would take a little bit of doing to put them all together, but hey, if anybody's up for doing it, uh, feel free to to do so and and send me a link. I'm on Twitter at UFO Thinker ufo thinker at hotmail.com ufo thinker at protonmail.com however you want to send it i'd love to see to see that if anyone's had the chance to do it uh, and and if i don't get anything uh, maybe at some stage i will look into doing that myself but just some really interesting comments there and i suppose you know let's just say it would be very interesting if somebody like that held the position of dr kirkpatrick you know somebody who's making those kind of statements you know if they were in that same position, knowing how seriously they clearly take the topic rather than trying to deliberately put out wording to minimise this and trying to focus on the cases that they've already resolved. Everybody knows that we don't want to know about the, the boring cases. Everybody knows if you've looked into this topic for more than five minutes that over 95% of cases are misidentifications and there's plenty of any shape you care to mention of UFOs, there is there is a, a, a long list of, of misidentifications that are possible for that shape. Um, 
And we all know that already. You know, why focus on that 95% when there clearly are a small percentage of cases that are absolutely fascinating? As I discussed in, in my last episode, um, you know, they've been talking about this from since the 1940s and 50s. Even then, they were well aware that the vast majority of cases are misidentifications or have a prosaic explanation of some type. But they openly admitted, even back then, that there's a small percentage that really do display some fascinating characteristics fast forward 70 years and dr kern patrick saying exactly the same thing now we find i think it's it's about time that we finally get somebody in place who has the kind of attitude that i just mentioned earlier on who has that direct knowledge of this and is not going to try to just minimize it and explain everything away uh, and try to downplay the entire thing when we all know that there are a tiny percentage that are absolutely fascinating all you got to do is look at the tic tac then 2004 nimitz case multiple credible observers you know sensor systems and all this kind of thing. I also put a tweet out about uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick or a, a post on X. I should. Uh, I need to try and get with the times and remember these new uh, the new names of these social medias and whatnot. But essentially, the the point was Kirkpatrick had said, um, direct quote here. Well, we prioritise more ones from today than we do going backwards in time, and the reason for that is there's no supporting data to actually analyse. So that video, that's all there is, unquote. And he's talking obviously there about different cases, what cases are prioritised with the investigations Arrow were doing. Um, and, um, you know, claiming that essentially the Nimitz case in particular there, the 2004 Nimitz case with the Tic Tac, and people all know it as, um, claiming that there, there isn't any data there. Now, I put out a, a post on X about this, which is, um, I actually was so... Um, surprised to hear that uh, when Kirkpatrick said it, that I went back and found um, a, a little clip from the, the original UAP task force hearing, uh, which is, I suppose, a couple of years ago now, um, in which uh, Scott Bray was actually speaking at that um, on, on behalf of the UAP task force. And um, and it was a bit of a different, different sort of uh, outlook on the situation back then. And uh, let me play the clip. I just have one, uh, a couple of real small questions. One is, uh, do we have an example? Can you cite a, a specific example of an object that can't be explained as having been human-made or natural? I, I mean, the the um, the example that that I would say that, we, that is still unresolved uh, that I think everyone understands quite well is the two thousand four uh, incident from from Nimitz. Uh, we have data on that, uh, and it simply remains unresolved. Uh, I just have one. So, an absolutely clear statement there on behalf of the UAP task force that they have data on that, and it still remains unresolved. And I remember picking up on this at the time because there obviously is a certain amount of radar data and sensor data that was um, around at the time of that case which, you know, various hearings and whatnot, whenever this question has been brought up, that data is obviously classified and can't be released to the public. But when they're doing their investigations as part of the UAP task force, as part of whatever internal, um, you know, effort, a group, or whatever you want to call it, um, investigations that are taking place, they, they should, providing they've got the correct clearances and are actually looking in the right places, they should have access to that data because it exists as clearly stated by Scott Bray there. 
um, you know, on on record in in the original UAP task force hearing. So it's very bizarre indeed that Kirkpatrick is there, you know, clearly stating that they don't have data. If they don't have data, I suggest that they go and get it because that data definitely does exist. It existed a couple of years ago. What have they done? Tossed it in the waste paper bin. It seems unlikely, doesn't it, about the most important case. Um, so very, very interesting. Certainly not something that inspires any confidence in the current processes or the willingness of, of Arrow or its director to actually get the work done that we want having been done. So... Moving on from that then, that's a few things that have been going on recently, but I'd also try to just gather my thoughts on where we're at currently in general. So, you know, a bit of a sit rep, you know, of where we're at in late 2023, as we discussed on the Christmas kind of roundtables and stuff at the end of 2022 going into 23, we all speculated it was going to be a big year and well, it was, wasn't it really? It's been pretty, well, pretty, pretty wild, you know, I think Grush uh, coming forward with the the kind of like highest level, most credible, um, you know, insider statements about about the existence of this, you know, long rumored UFO reverse engineering program as it was top of the list. But there's been various other uh, really interesting things coming out as well. But here we are, you know, UFO sightings persist across the entire world. Um, clear photographic and video imagery remaining a bit elusive despite the popularity of high quality smartphones very difficult to actually capture clear photos videos of these objects and of course that could simply just be due to the tech itself having some kind of built-in anti-capture technology i don't think that's a stretch personally if you imagine how advanced this technology is you know is it really that difficult to imagine that they would have some way of of evading capture by our photography equipment that we have i don't think it's that that far out of the realms of of possibility that that could happen you know things like black triangles at night are very very difficult to capture you know lights could basically be anything you know it's quite easy to misidentify a plane as a black triangle if you if you're not careful uh, you know I've, I've certainly had a look at things like that in the past um, if it's got no lights, it's impossible to see and capture on any kind of uh, camera or video or, or anything anyway. It's very difficult to capture images of a disc or sphere type of thing just in general. And, and when they are captured, they sort of appear quite ambiguous. Obviously, something that's a disc or a sphere could very easily look like a balloon. You know, um, something that's far away could be pretty much anything. Skeptics, of course, use the example of a, of a, of a plane often when it comes to capturing footage or uh, photographs of these things uh, planes are, are relatively easy to, to photograph you know with with quite a bit of clarity you know and, and i've replicated this myself i've zoomed in on a plane but if you think about the actual size of a jumbo jet and the relatively slow consistent movement of a, of a large plane that does allow for that kind of thing to be easily captured uh, the thing is even if good images were captured of a ufo we live in the age of AI-generated imagery, which is is really advancing at a pretty rapid pace. Of course, we've all read about AI developments, and you know Elon Musk had a meeting with Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, I think it was last week, about the, the dangers of AI and, and getting under control. And you know, I, I've just been seeing funny photographs being made on UFO 
Twitter, UFOX, whatever it's called nowadays, um, you know, which are pretty difficult in some in some cases to tell whether or not they are AI generated. Occasionally, you get like a somebody's hand will look weird or something on a photograph, or they'll have an extra finger, and then it's a dead giveaway. But if if they manage to avoid things like that, or they crop those kind of things out of the picture, it's it's, it's pretty much impossible now to tell. At the end of the day, images will be ambiguous or useless, and until the the clear until it's a really clear picture of something, and then it'll be dismissed as fake, so you just can't win. It's why I personally, as you probably have gathered from from listening to the podcast, um, I'm not particularly focused on photographs and videos. Plenty of, of, of accounts out there on, on X, plenty of YouTube channels that uh, always have the, the next video and you know talk about how amazing it is and so on. But for me, it's just not something I focus on because of the reasons mentioned uh, just now. But that's why I find military cases uh, particularly so important. You know, when you've got, uh, you know, like, like again, the, going back to the old classic, the Tic Tac, the video footage on its own is not particularly compelling. But when you add that into the credible witnesses, the multiple credible witnesses, uh, the testimony of those folks, the people who are operating the sensor systems, the fact that we know that... Uh, sensor system classified data exists and has been looked at as part of the official investigations into that case and still didn't manage to resolve it even despite having all of that information that's kind of where you start going yeah there's really something to this um you can't really do that with civilian footage unless they're lucky enough to have some kind of incredible multi-million pound sensor system in the back garden how many civilians have got that i don't think there's really many if any so to me, it does stand to reason, as I mentioned as well, that these these objects could well have that anti-capture technology. You know, I can sort of hear the size around the country, of uh, around the world even, of what, really, when I say things like that. But, you know, we are talking about technology that is potentially so advanced that it can travel through the universe, potentially from one dimension to another. It can defy gravity, you know. It can do all of these things. And is it really a stretch to think they could avoid detection from an iPhone? Don't know. And there's also the aspect of it where the shapes of these craft may not actually be what they appear to even be. You know, there might be a tech technology of some sort that allows them to manipulate consciousness to the point that they can appear however they want to the observer. You know, there was the case of the, the Paris, I believe it was, UFO, uh, which was observed as a disc, if I remember rightly, um, and it was captured on phone uh, or, or some kind of camera. I'm not sure if it was a phone, actually, but it was caught on uh, a photograph as a star shape, despite having been seen by the witnesses in the moment as, as a disc. And um, there were multiple cases, such as the miracle of Fatima, where different observers present in the same moment looking at the same thing see completely different things and some of them see nothing at all you know so it's there's there's so many complexities to to this thing that you know capturing footage i think is the first thing that somebody who's not interested in this topic generally says you know is there a good photograph of it and is there a good you know video what what can you show me but it's it's actually i think when you get stuck into this topic it's kind of the in some ways the least interesting aspect because of all the reasons just mentioned and i think that's where we are with with that into late 2023 i mean just this year 
AI generation of, of videos and, and photography has got so good, even just in the last 12 months, that the, the, the landscape's constantly changing. And how easy is it to actually find, to be able to discern whether or not something's AI generated at this point? It's almost impossible to do. So according to Grush, and as I mentioned earlier on, a pretty long list of, of extremely credible people who've been in charge of of keeping our, our you know our nations safe if you're talking about the US obviously there's the, the the special relationship with the UK you know it's our closest partner if you're actually from the US these are people who your tax dollars have actually paid to keep you safe and and uh and, and you know develop new technologies to to keep your military personnel safe and 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 so on there's a long list of these people now at this stage i mean again i've not i've not got a list like um you know physical list in front of me but i would say that there's dozens of people you know and um who, who are saying the same thing you know like grush alleged that fragments of, of uap have been recovered for decades by the government its allies and defense contractors essentially post-retrieval analysis has determined that those fragments are of exotic origin and uh, you know based on what he describes as the vehicle morphologies and material science testing and the possession of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signature in his news nation interview grush says that the u.s possesses quite a number of spacecraft from another species so that's a step further than fragments and bits and bobs of interesting material. That's a clear statement that we have craft of non-human origin. Going back to what I mentioned earlier, you know, that, that individual Cal Nell with all of that experience working for all of those various that I won't go into listing all over again. But somebody who's, who's described it as indisputably, indisputably from, from non-human origin. You know, we're talking about material that includes intact and partially intact vehicles you know again from from dave grush there you know which were determined to have been from non-human intelligence whether extraterrestrial or unknown origin and again that's a very important very important phrase at this moment in time unknown origin if you're talking about extraterrestrial it's very easy to say that something and i think this is what's happening it's easy to say that something, uh, oh, we, we have absolutely nothing that can point towards this has been extraterrestrial in origin. Well, what does that mean? That that means that they can't definitively say that it is extraterrestrial, as in originates from not on this planet, because they don't actually know where it originates from. And I think this is one of those tactics, uh, you know, it's, it's like a word game. Unknown origin, I think, is the the specific phrase that we should be focusing on when the pentagon put a statement out and say um we, we we don't have any material of extraterrestrial origin and things like that all that actually means is that they can't they may have material they may have craft but they can't definitively say that they are extraterrestrial in origin because they simply don't know where they're from think about what it would take in order to be able to say that something is definitely extraterrestrial in origin you would have to know where it originates from. How are you going to know where a craft originates from? It's not going to say made in Zeta Reticuli on the side of it, is it? So at the end of the day, it's going to be unknown origin until you can trace it back to the source. How are you going to trace 
something like that back to the source. It's not possible. So unknown origin is a catch-all. You know, if you've got something there, you don't know where it's from, it's very, very unlikely to be of, of human origin. Unknown origin is how you would classify it. Going further than that, Grush's statements say, you know, naturally, when you recover something that's either landed or crashed, sometimes you encounter dead pilots. And believe it or not, as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. Literally, you know, stating that we have found the dead pilots, as in non-human beings, who have been piloting these craft. We've also got astrophysicist Eric W. Davis, uh, spent many years working as a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program, now a defense contractor, and was a consultant to the UAP task force, and um, you know, more than likely gave uh, a classified classified briefing to the Defense Department on what he called off-world vehicles not made on this Earth. Um, I say more than likely because I wasn't there in the room, but everything uh, that I've heard from Davis and, and various others, as reported in, in the New York Times a little while ago, um, you know, points to the fact that he did give this briefing and uh, that was all about what he called off-world vehicles not made on this earth and again going back to what grush had said earlier you would think that the way that they determined that it was not made on this earth would be um the particular points uh, that i mentioned which is the um the material science testing uh, the possession of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signature and the vehicle morphologies and just for clarity, did a quick uh, bit of googling on on morphology, and there's various definitions depending on the context. But in this time, it would appear to be talking about the form and structure of it itself. So we're talking about the types of materials that have been used, the specific properties of the material itself, how it's been put together, the radiological signatures, and um, everything that Eric Davis is saying there sort of ties in with what Grush has said about the ways that they would have known that these were not um, earthly in origin. And again, Dr. Lukatsky, who I mentioned earlier, essentially a few generations back of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's predecessor, um, Dr. Lukatsky, somebody who we know without a shadow of a doubt ran as director the government's UFO program, which was a major program, which got a lot done, unlike what Kirkpatrick has done, and had 22 million of funding and probably more than that as well. He, is, he has absolutely confirmed everything that Dr. Davis and uh, uh, that David Grush have, have said there. But interestingly, Katsky wouldn't go into any more details until anything further got authorised to be published through Dopser in terms of how they knew it was definitely non-human in origin. Uh, but if you listen to what Eric Davis has said there and what Grush has said, it does seem to clearly point to even how they knew that it was non-human in origin. Now, uh, Eric Davis has actually described kind of a manta ray-shaped craft in the past, but then went on to actually clarify that as as what he says as a boot heel-shaped craft. Um, the the story goes that Eric Davis is aware of files of information held at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, I believe, which contain information on two craft which were boot heel shaped, which came down at Roswell in 1947. According to John Ramirez, a former CIA officer 
Um, somebody again whose background I don't think is in question at this point. It was a, a long-standing uh, CIA officer with a with a kind of a glowing career. Um, and I've spoken to to John when he was particularly active um, about a year and a half ago, I suppose now. Uh, there was a point in time when I was speaking to John quite regularly, and um, it, of of course, you know, I I never requested any classified information from him, and he certainly wasn't forthcoming with anything classified, as you would expect. Um, but it was I had some very interesting discussions with John offline. I've never actually had John on the podcast. He has been on uh, Cohen or Beans, which uh, I'm, I'm a part of. Uh, obviously, UFO Thinker podcast goes out on my own network and it goes out through Cohen of Beans, and I'm a, a contributor to the Cohen or Beans show as well. Uh, so John's been a guest on there. But this is what uh, John Ramirez had to say. Quote, The secret of Roswell was that, yes, there was a craft, and if it was just a craft, I think the government would readily disclose that. And yes, there were outer space beings on the craft, and I think the government would disclose that eventually. But the fact that these beings had DNA that was found in the human genome, I think is the actual secret of Roswell. I think that is a core secret of why the government will not talk about Roswell. Because to talk about Roswell, you also have to talk about the occupants in the craft, unquote. Now, very, very interesting uh, to think about. Obviously, that's just one person saying it. And it's fair to say as well, just to qualify this, is that John Ramirez, having worked for the CIA at a very high level for many, many years, John Ramirez has actually stated that he was never read into any kind of UFO-related CIA programs. Of course, even if he was, he wouldn't be able to say it. So that's worth considering as well. But certainly somebody who's who's been involved in the world that he's been involved in uh, is very interesting. Uh, to hear him saying that and also John Ramirez has talked about various CIA sensors that he is actually um, directly seen as well as part of the work that he did John Ramirez was involved in sensor systems attached to satellites extremely capable satellite mounted sensor systems and has, has clearly stated that he has seen objects on those systems and I mean, the list really does go on and on. And, and a really exhaustive list, like I was mentioning earlier, would be fantastic. But of course, we've had Lou Elizondo, who essentially was Dr. Lukatsky's pre, uh, successor, uh, who went on to, to carry on that effort after OSAP was kind of uh, denied funding going forward. Um, even presidents, some of the, the comments recently from Barack Obama in particular. Did you ever ask for information they said we can't tell you? No, but I will tell you that there were times where I asked for information and then it came slower than I wanted. Prying information out of uh, the bowels of an agency uh, can, can be challenging. UFOs? Any UFOs? Did you ask about that? I certainly asked about it. And? Can't tell you. Sorry. Okay. Can UFOs. I say it used to be that UFOs was the, uh, and, and uh, what is it, Roswell was the biggest conspiracy? Yeah. And now that seems so tame. Right, right. The idea that right. uh, the government might have an alien yeah. spaceship. I mean, pretty, pretty fascinating comments there from somebody who was the president of the United States, and I think it's it's a fair point. Uh, you know, the conversation has moved on now from whether or not we even have this stuff. It, it just seems the weight of evidence is overwhelming at this stage that we do. And the question is, how do we make sense of this? How do we move forward? How much of this can be revealed responsibly to the public without giving away too much inf information to adversaries? And um, I think Barack Obama 
uh, is one to watch uh, as we as we move along. I, I think it's quite clear that he's he's quite open to discussing this topic now. So, speaking of those questions, you know, where where do they come from? What are we dealing with? You know, do we as humanity know this? Is there somebody deep within an agency somewhere that has the answers to this question? I personally am not so sure, but then again, what do I know? You know, at the end of the day, the comments from Grush recently do seem to suggest that there are quote unquote agreements with some kind of non-human intelligence. Now, that aspect, personally, I'm not so sure about. I've been pretty cautious on that side of things, and you know, I suppose it's probably it's best to err on the side of caution with that kind of thing. And uh, I've just not had enough info to to clearly say if we've had contact directly. You know, could this actually have arisen that kind of contact as a result of whatever intelligence it is wanting their gear back or the people back that have ended up crashing here or ended up being here for whatever reason um there's not a lot that we really know about what the insiders know on this you know the speculation is that there may have been meetings between various u.s presidents potentially could even be some secret pacts drawn up where we allow them free reign in return for some technology and certainly would go some way to explaining why we have intact craft rather than crashed um you know do we share this planet with them do they share this planet with us you know which way does the the balance of uh, of power dynamic work there what we know for sure is that the universe i say for sure as close as we can be to being sure what we know is that the universe has been expanding since the the universe's birth about 15 billion years ago it's estimated that life on planet earth started about four to five billion years ago I mean, it's just absolutely mind-blowing to think what if a civilization would have started somewhere else out there in the universe a billion years before anything started on this planet. You know, what can happen in a billion years? Quite a lot. It's a long time, you know. So we there's a lot we don't understand about the universe. We don't really understand dark matter. We don't really understand how big the universe even is. You know, we've got some great ideas about all of this, but... Nobody really knows for sure, and it's important to remember that every time human beings have thought that we've got to a point of understanding everything, you know, sooner or later it becomes abundantly clear that we got it wrong, and there's things that we need to adjust and amend, and that process is probably going to continue going for a long, long time. And certainly, what we understand or we think we understand at the moment is not the big full picture. There are many discussions within the ufo community and of course way beyond the ufo community and about the nature of reality itself how the perceivable reality that we experience may be an illusion kind of a you know something that's that's come about through evolution to give us the sensory input from true reality that we actually need in order to be able to survive the kind of donald hoffman school of thought taken and adapted somewhat by by various people is that you know, consciousness is not created by biological matter, but rather consciousness itself is fundamental. You know, others more traditionally kind of look at the brain as a, as a kind of biological computer which itself creates consciousness. The big problem with that, of course, is that there's been plenty of examples of people being brain dead during operations, etc., where they're, they're hooked up to machines during a life-saving operation, and despite the machines showing zero brain activity the person has got vivid memories of those moments 
you know, from outside the body. And, you know, clear memories of what's going on in the room at the time down to even the small details. And that's not just one case, but quite a lot. And some really good examples of that are shown in the Netflix series Surviving Death by Leslie Keane, which is a really interesting watch. However, there are some, you know, these are just some strong indications, but there are some further investigations that, that need to be done. This isn't solid proof of anything, of course. Oh, I saw this thing on Netflix, so that means that our entire reality is crumbling. It's not quite like that, is it? But it definitely seems to me that we haven't got it all figured out yet in terms of understanding what reality is, what our place in reality is. and you know, The, the problem is, though, I suppose, is that whichever way you look at the universe you're probably wrong <laughs> it's quite disconcerting isn't it you know is it is it likely that there's one theory that's been floated by human beings in 2023 that's exactly right it's possible but is it probable no you know we're probably completely wrong we've probably got a few of the pieces of the puzzle but there's still a hell of a lot more to discover and i find I kind of find it baffling that we always simplify things down to option A or option B when it comes to looking at things like this. Like the obvious one is the, you know, materialism versus idealism thing. It's, it's probably a neither, both, a bit of one and the other mixed together with something else thrown in, you know. It's never really going to be that simple, is it? But humans have a, a, a tendency to simplify things down to one side or the other and then refine it from there and challenge it and... I suppose it's all part of the the process of, of of learning about what we're doing here and and what our place in the universe is. You know, does it have to be that consciousness is fundamental to reality itself, or the brain manufactures consciousness, one extreme or the other? I doubt we've cracked it in either option, really. Um, you know, it's probably way more complex than we can possibly imagine. Yeah, I often hear folks on podcasts talking about these things as though it's completely accepted, and then building on these things from there. But it's really important to to remember that everything is shaky ground, you know, where we're at, at the moment. There's a lot we don't understand. Um, just because somebody's read something compelling in, in, in a particular book and it seems to make sense intuitively, that's not really strong enough grounds to then build on it from there and extrapolate out. Other than, you know, in terms of hypothesizing and speculating, that's great, definitely. But the, there's always that danger of of kind of putting two and two together, feeling like the, you understand something and then preaching stentorian from the mount to any and all that will listen as though they have all the answers. And I've always said right from the beginning, anybody who claims to have all the answers, you probably want to you know, keep your distance because uh, we, nobody really has all the answers, especially not when it comes to the UFO topic. That Well, at least as far as I know, you know, maybe there's somebody out there who does have all the answers, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely rule it out. Like you should never rule anything out. But you know, the the sad thing is, there are many who are seeking answers due to their own experiences in in the UFO community, and those who speak authoritatively, confidently, and charismatically often find a significant audience with you know, with folks that want to connect to them often to great financial gain obviously there's various characters who've done that through the decades and the trouble is you know it, it's it's likely that the the wrong that we're all wrong about a lot of things you know and true wisdom is probably knowing that we know nothing you know um at the end of the day and i wouldn't suggest for a second that i have wisdom by the way i have no idea i just like to ponder 
you know, even the concept of the podcast UFO thinker is not supposed to say that I'm some kind of grand thinker. There wasn't even that much thought put into it. It's just that I literally think about UFOs, hence the name. Certainly don't think of myself as, as having any of the answers. I feel as though the mysteries of the universe certainly won't be solved in my lifetime, um, much as I would like them to be. Or perhaps, you know, in, in any anyone's lifetime, is it is it possible that humans are ever going to have these answers? Maybe those mysteries are just revealed to us at the end of our lifetimes. Who knows? But what I sort of personally find most interesting is trying to solve the mysteries that are occurring within our own perceptible reality. Of course, I, I do definitely find it fascinating that there are parts of reality that we can't perceive and the John Keel super spectrum idea, you know, as I've talked about on the podcast before, I've always been interested in music and perhaps this is why, but um, people have those little uh, frequency devices that they put in the garden to scare cats away. Humans are not supposed to be able to hear them. Just some freak of genetics, I can actually hear those frequencies which are supposed to be outside of the range of human hearing, um, which I'm not claiming I've been given some kind of divine gifts by non-human intelligences, by the way, just for anybody wondering. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's probably just because I've always had you know, good hearing, I suppose, just genetically. Um, but it's always I've always found it fascinating. I walk past... Uh, somebody's garden with a bunch of friends and I have to cover my ears because I'm in pain and nobody else can even hear it and it does make you think that one species to the next even between one human to the next within the same species one person can you know can can perceive something happening that is objectively there it's happening but another person is completely oblivious to it walks past it and doesn't even realize anything is happening there you know, it's like bats, for example, you know, can can hear um, up to some unbelievable high frequencies. Humans can hear from approximately 20 to 20,000 hertz. Um, out of interest, the, the CAT ultrasonic devices are usually over 20,000. So let's say, for example, it's 24,000 hertz. Um, it, it's possible for humans to have hearing range up to about 28,000 hertz. So I probably, I've never actually had it tested, but I must be somewhere up into the upper uh, regions of what is possible for human hearing. And that just puts me into that bracket where the CAT ultrasonic repellent devices are a little bit painful. But when you're talking about bats, um, that's a bit of a different league altogether. Um, so the bats uh, can actually hear up to about 200,000. So, I mean, I'm complaining that I can hear up to about 25,000. And, you know, poor old me, you know, the, the cat devices do my head in. Uh, if I was a bat, it'd be a very different thing altogether. I'd be able to hear all the way up to 200,000, uh, which is absolutely fascinating to think, isn't it? Um, I mean, bats' entire communication and the, the sonar sensing that they do uh, to, to find prey and whatnot, it all takes place completely out of uh, human perceptible range, which is quite fascinating. And uh, even just the, the idea of frequency in general, again, is something that's, that's discussed within the UFO community sometimes, particularly in relation to the, the more kind of woo aspect. And I think frequency is, is, is a much... Um, you know, much kind of um, misunderstood um, concept in general. I mean, frequency literally just means how frequent something is. Something with a low frequency is very, very long, slow waves, like bass frequencies, for example. Um, it takes a lot more literal distance for those waves to actually complete a full cycle. Um, 
if you're talking about high frequencies, they're much shorter waves. So that's literally how frequency is, how frequent a wave can complete within a certain amount of distance and, and how long it takes for it to do that. Um, the very, very high frequencies indeed, like the bat frequencies are, are unbelievably high. Um, high frequency, unbelievably short wavelength. Really, really low frequencies, uh, like sub-bass, for example, actually... A full a full wave of those kind of lower frequencies won't even complete in this in the, the size of a normal room which is why sometimes it can be quite hard to actually get rooms set up for hearing a uh, full range of frequencies but you know anyway I, I'm, I'm obviously going into a bit of my background in uh you know in, in the science of sound um as it were there um, but you know, as I just going back to the, the original train of thought, I think what I find most interesting personally is just the the trying to solve mysteries that occur within our perceptible reality. Although certainly fascinating to think about things that happen outside of our perceptible reality, what we can actually perceive can change, of course, as well. And um, how do you even define in this day and age what is perceptible reality to us? Because if you, if certainly if we ever get to the stage of being able to plug in additional sensors to our brain, which doesn't seem far off to me, we could easily augment our ability to perceive reality. You know, for example, Neuralink and things like that, you know, the, the concept of being able to literally um, directly interface with technology through a chip in your brain rather than having a phone in your hand you 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 know it's quite possible that in 50 years 100 years we may have this direct link with technology wired directly into your brain if that's if that's the case you know perhaps you might be able to plug and play you know with new sensor equipment and if bats can perceive sound all the way up to 200,000 hertz can you imagine what it would be like as a human if you could perceive the sound of bats communicating and perceive all of the other things that happen in that particular frequency band? Is there a similar kind of thing that we could do with light? I have a bunch of different remote controls in my house and they all operate with infrared light, which is something that's not visible to the human eye. If you were a different type of species, you may well be able to perceive that infrared and in that situation where potentially the human mind may be able to actually perceive higher frequency ranges within sound and higher um higher ranges within visual with it with light essentially um how would that affect how we actually study the universe around us and 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 how we just exist on a day-to-day basis and how would it affect our detection of of anomalous um you know uap essentially but i think what I've basically been trying to meander through there is a bit of an examination of where we're at in terms of government officials talking about what is being kept and held within private industry by the government programs, whatever it is, material, biological remains of non-human intelligences. We've reached a point where the weight of evidence is pretty overwhelming that that stuff exists. The specifics are yet to be revealed what studies have been done to look into them and what we understand as a result of those studies, again, is, is at the moment very difficult to discern, you know, really the extent of that. But we are apparently making progress towards that happening. Politicians are starting to take this more and more seriously. 
I don't think we're getting to the stage where this is going to be a central point of a presidential election. I think it'll still be veered away from significantly. Like nobody's going to want to be the alien president, uh, the presidential campaign. I don't think we're at that point just yet. Um, the stigma's just still too strong. But that's that's kind of one angle of where we're at at the moment, where what we're seeing unfold at this very moment in time. Literally, the Lukatsky comments about the craft and penetrating the hull of a craft and so forth were only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, David Grush with his 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 revelations only came out this year, and you know we're going to see more in in that regard. And um, on top of that, we've got the you know the 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 different angle that's being taken and in, in terms of um you know reality and contemplating reality and and it's very possible that whatever technology is possessed by advanced non-human intelligences manipulates and takes advantage of parts of reality that we don't yet understand and it's obviously very interesting to consider how all of what we're seeing and what we know about now to do with physical ufos how that could possibly link in and clearly that's something that's been considered quite deeply by those who are actually looking into this as part of you know official government ufo investigative efforts and it's essentially a, a fascinating time to be interested in this topic we've got more and more coming to light all the time about government ufo efforts to look into this over the years and, and current ones you know changing all the time more and more information on, on that side of things and uh, we've also got all of these various different ways of looking at the reality itself being investigated and how that might link into the whole thing um if you you know if you follow the the ancient civilizations side of things um things are that were considered to be pretty wacky out there ideas that the perhaps humans you know civilizations were a lot more advanced in the past than than we thought they were and um, there's more information on that coming out all the time and we don't really understand the past anywhere near as much as we thought we did particularly in relation to humans and how our history and how advanced we've been in the past um i think there's more information coming about that all the time there's more information about the, the the UFO investigative efforts, as I've mentioned, that have happened in the past from governments and um, the reality itself is being challenged. And the future is, you know, just as fascinating. We've got all of these new technologies. As I mentioned, AI is now rapidly uh, increasing in terms of its capability and how accessible it is to, to human beings in general. There's a lot of parts to this puzzle that are that are all kind of clicking into place and it's a fascinating time i mean i don't know about everybody else i i never know what to expect these days you open your news app when you're having your coffee in the morning and nothing really surprises me anymore um you know just going back to the ancient civilizations thing graham hancock of course has been arguing for decades now that you know actually there seems to be a lot of clear evidence that humans were more advanced in the past than what we realized and maybe there was a quite advanced human civilization that was disrupted by um you know global cataclysms and many prominent skeptics have, have you know passionately argued against that viewpoint uh such as michael Shermer, who's a pretty renowned skeptic um Anyway, I opened up my Twitter account the other day to find that there's a new study been done into uh, Gunun Padang, uh, which is uh, now 
actually revealed according to the results of this study as being uh, clearly, and, and I'll actually just quote from the paper uh, directly here to get the wording right, um, quote, Gunanpadang is a multi-layered prehistoric pyramid. This study strongly suggests that Gunanpadang is not a natural hill, but a pyramid-like construction. The pyramid's core consists of meticulously sculpted massive andesite lava enveloped by layers of rock constructions. The carbon dating analysis further supports the multi-layer construction's long history spanning successive periods. The oldest construction likely originated as a natural lava hill before being sculpted and then architecturally enveloped during the last glacial period between 25,000 and 14,000 BCE absolutely fascinating and all of this was um kind of came to a head in in the in the prominent skeptic michael Shermer uh, posting on x essentially um a, a humble admission that actually graham hancock was right and that now according to this study apparently there are some big questions about the the origins of of modern human civilization and where we've actually come from in fact the tweet itself was so remarkable i'll actually read it out um, quote, Gunnampadang on West Java, oldest pyramidal structure in the world at 16,000 to 27,000 years BP. Astonishing. I acknowledge Graham Hancock's stuff keeps getting older principle. It would seem human history is vastly deeper and richer than we ever realised, unquote. And it just goes to show what is seen as a crazy, wacky theory 10, 15 years ago. You know, science can catch up with those those quote-unquote wacky ideas and actually prove them to be the case and added to that there's an absolutely fascinating uh, in extremely thorough scientific investigation into um, some of the vase objects from ancient Egypt which has recently been done by Uncharted X um, in, in conjunction with some um, very advanced engineering measurement uh, systems and uh, that kind of thing well we're going into quite a bit more detail about this at some point soon in, in an episode actually um, it's not directly related to UFOs but I think there are some parallels there uh, which are worth considering and uh, as, as long term listeners may know I'm uh, quite fascinated by uh, ancient civilizations and whatnot in general and the potential links there as well um, but it just goes to show you know every day we're uncovering new things about our own past as human beings that we just didn't even know about the nature of reality itself and the nature of where our technology is going you know the advancements in AI the possibility of augmenting our own you know ability to perceive reality itself in the coming years it really is quite a fascinating time to be alive isn't it so i'm going to leave it there with today's episode um i hope you've enjoyed listening and if you've stuck around to to, to the end of the episode here clearly a hardcore listener of the podcast and thanks for being here right the way through to the end very much appreciated um as you know i, I don't run any adverts on the podcast no sponsorships cheesy promotions you're not going to hear me saying, and this episode is brought to you by Colgate Toothpaste. If you want that shiny smile, it's not how I do things. <laughs> I always want to give the best um, listener experience that I possibly can. You know, I know it's kind of adverts are omnipresent these days, but I'm just, you know, I don't like it. I hate going onto a platform. The first thing you've got to do is listen to some cheesy sponsorship. Um, 
And uh, not many people realise, but Spotify actually doesn't pay a penny to podcasters. I've got, you know, I think about half a million listens on the podcast overall, um, you know, thousands of episodes, downloads per episode, and um, I've I never earned a penny from the podcast in terms of uh, Spotify or podcasting platforms. Um, so if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash UFO thinker. You can pledge as little as a couple of dollars, a couple of pounds, whatever your local currency is per month. And this allows you to join in with the community discussion that we have on the Patreon page. Um, I noticed a, f- a few uh, new additions to the Patreon community recently. So thanks very much to those who have joined and those long-standing patrons. I massively appreciate everybody who supports on Patreon. And um, You can direct message me. Uh, you can get exclusive benefits like early access to episodes. Most episodes will try and get out at least a day or a few days, in some cases a week or so earlier than, than goes out on the free feeds. And sometimes I do exclusive Patreon-only episodes as well. And anyone who, who clicks on the podcast can listen to the episodes without any ads. And that's thanks to the everybody who's chosen to support on Patreon. So uh, thank you very much to all the incredible uh, support on Patreon uh, from, from, from you folks there. Um, proud to do things a bit differently in that regard. And I really appreciate any and all support because it, it literally allows me to keep the pod running and cover all my costs. So thanks very much, everybody, for listening. As I say, next week we're going to have a great episode. I'm looking forward to doing that one with Dave and Chris. Um, And then after that, we've got plenty in the works, building up to our uh, traditional Christmas episode. And um, we just had a bonfire night here in the UK a couple of nights ago. All my clothes still smell of bonfire smoke. I know it's not an American thing. All my American listeners will be thinking, what the hell are you talking about, Frank? Um, but I posted on Twitter, me and me bonfire, and I, and I had a nice cigar as well, uh, bonfire night. I'm a, quite partial to a nice Cuban cigar. So uh, just in case there's any cigar listeners out there, uh, I had a Romeo y Julieta, um, wide Churchill, absolutely delightful, incredible, probably the, one of the nicest cigars I've, I've ever had. So that was a lovely time. And I'll be uh, I'll be enjoying the Thanksgiving celebrations this year in in uh, in solidarity with my American listeners and all my American friends out there. I've been quite lucky to uh, to be sent a uh, apparently award winning Thanksgiving turkey and stuffing recipe from my friend DJ Cornell Beans, and um, I'm gonna definitely try that out. And I'm gonna even though it's not a UK British festival or celebration, I'm gonna join in with the Thanksgiving celebrations this year. I'm looking forward to that. I hope everyone's well out there and uh, enjoying some some parts of the the festive uh, parts of the year, Thanksgiving and Christmas and whatnot coming up. Um, and until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next one. UFO Podcast.